Hi, everyone. Good morning. I hope you're well. Today, I wanted to talk about uh, something that comes up in this week's Torah portion. I just want to kind of broadcast it live. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to to pan out, but I figured instead of me just spending my time studying alone, I would study together with you. And this week's Torah portion, we discover this this child with these two children who are born, uh, Jacob and Esav, Yaakov and Esav. And I wanted to take a look at Yaakov, at Jacob himself, and see if we could learn something from his life that is very much connected with uh, the world and what's going on. Before I get into it, I want to just make a mention that on Thursday, I compared uh, the Holocaust to the Gezerah Tachvatah, to the uh, pogrom of 1648, and in no way I was I trying to do that. Somebody pointed out to me, and I didn't. I do not want to make any comparison to the gate, the greatest catastrophe uh, to the Jewish people in modern history, and possibly to you know one of the greatest catastrophes to the world in modern history. So I want to apologize for that. If you misunderstood that, uh, was not my intention. This past Simchat Torah, October 7th, the Jewish world was shocked, horrified, to witness the atrocities that were committed in Israel. And since then, I would say there's been a newfound resolve among the people of Israel, amongst the the, the Jewish people in general, to stand up to terror and to put an end to it once and for all. And I hope, God willing, that we should live in a world that's really full of peace. I couldn't help but notice some comparisons here. So we talk about Jacob. Our patriarch Jacob, there was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. When he's born, the the Torah actually calls him Yaakov from the word Ekev, which means heel, because as the Torah describes it, his hand is holding on to Esau's heel. There's a number of commentators that explain that it was actually a miraculous event. An infant that hasn't yet even been been born, having the capacity to consciously grab on to someone else is not a standard occurrence. So why is Jacob, Yaakov, Ekev, why is he holding on to his twin brother's heel? What's really happening? Well, I would say that what's happening was simply that Jacob is trying to hold Esav back. He wanted to come out first. He reasoned, and this is obviously on a metaphorical level, that the birthright belonged to him. And as the foremost commentator, Rashi, who I've spoken about many times, as he explains that he was justified and holding on to him, to hold him back because Yaakov, because Jacob was formed from of the first drop and Esav of the second, like a narrow tube which you insert two pebbles, one on top of the other. The one you insert first comes out last, and the one that you insert last comes out first. So Esav 
was formed last and came out first, and Yaakov was formed first and came out last. But Yaakov, Jacob tried to hinder Esav and be born first, just like he was formed first, opening the womb of his mother and taking the birthright justifiably. And so Jacob reasons that the right of the firstborn belonged to him, but he never dared going up to Esau to say that he was the firstborn and that the birthright belonged to him. So instead, as the the, the tale or the, the story continues, one fine day, Esau comes home exhausted and starving and asks Yaakov, Jacob, to give him uh, some of his stew. It was some kind of lentil stew that he was cooking. And... Yaakov offers Esav a, a steal, as it's referred to. He offered him a deal. If he would sell him the birthright, he'd give him the beans. And so Yaakov gets the birthright for a bowl of stew. Over, over 60 years goes by. And Yaakov hears that his father, Yitzchak, is about to present the blessings that he got from his father, Abraham to his son Esav. And now Yaakov, Jacob thinks that the blessings were actually due to him because he was the firstborn. But he didn't have the courage to go to Yitzchak, to his father, and tell him the whole saga of selling the birthright for a bowl of soup. And so in the process, we also point out that his own father was mistaken, that his son Esav was not following in the ways of his father and grandfather. But Yaakov, and this is where we get into human nature a bit, because this is what I wanted to get into a little more today. Yaakov was a man who stayed away from confrontation. He wasn't the type to get up in front of his father and say these kind of things to him. You know those people? Maybe you can relate to it, people who stay away from confrontation. They just kind of want to, they want to stay within, within everything. They don't want second order change. They don't want things to change. They want things to just stay the way they are. So with his mother's guidance, he disguises himself as Asaph. And he goes into his father's room, his study with a tray of food. And he says, it is I, Asaph, your firstborn, please rise, sit, and eat of my game so that your soul will bless me. And Yaakov gets the blessings. But how did he get them? He gets them as as Yitzchak, as his father himself later defines it. Your brother came with cunning and took your blessing. And when his brother Esav now, we open this week's Torah portion, wants to kill him, all of a sudden this Yaakov, the person who is not able to face confrontation, changes, and he's ready to fight with him, face to face. But what happens? He flees to Haran. Once again, avoiding confrontation seems to be a common theme in his life. Avoiding confrontation. When Yaakov gets to Haran, he agrees with his Uncle Lavan, that he'll work for seven years, most beautiful love story in the Torah for Rachel, his daughter, the younger one, 
But when he discovers later that Lavan tricked him, he doesn't divorce Leah. He doesn't go to court to press charges against his father-in-law, Lavan, for misrepresentation by virtue of not upholding the conditions of the agreement. Rather, the moment Lavan suggests that he work another seven years to get the hand of marriage of his love of Rachel, he gave into the trickery and he goes and works for another seven years. And after 22 years in his uncle and father-in-law's house, when he already had a large family with four wives, with 12 sons and a daughter, along with a lot of wealth, he was still, he's still afraid to come to Lavan and say, listen, my friend, it's time for me to go back to Israel. Instead, he waits for the opportunity when Lavan would be away on a business trip, as the Torah tells us, and Lavan went to shear his sheep. And Yaakov concealed from Lavan by not telling him that he was fleeing. And then he runs away. And then he gets to the land of Israel. And we're told in the beginning of of next week's portion that he heard that his brother Asaph was coming with a private army of 400 men. And he got scared. And he sent a big gift to him. And after I'm going to see his face, maybe he's going to like that I sent presents to him. Maybe he'll compromise with me. But it all ended the night before he was supposed to finally see his brother after so many years. The Torah says, and Yaakov was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. And that night, before he met Asaph, it was the first time that moment with the angel when he wrestled with the angel. Actually, we know it's the angel of his brother. It's the first time in Yaakov's life that he had to fight for himself. His whole life, until that moment, he always ducked. He always ran away from problems. But now, no more. He could no longer bend over backwards. Now he had to take a stand against evil and confront it face to face. And you know what happens? Something amazing happens to him. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. The man who he was fighting with, who was really Asaph's guardian angel, he realized that he could never succeed in overpowering Yaakov. He saw that he could not prevail against him as the way the Torah describes it. So Yaakov and the man, who's really an angel, 
wrestled all night. And at dawn, Yaakov finally overpowered him. And the angel asked Yaakov to set him free. But Yaakov, when he wins, he stubbornly refuses. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And what does the angel say? Your name shall no longer be called Jacob. It shall no longer be called Yaakov, but now Yisrael, Israel. Why? Because you have commanding power with an angel of God and with men, and you have prevailed. Until that moment, until that struggle, Yaakov's name evoked Akev. It was a heel. What's a heel? What does that mean? A doormat, a person that everyone could walk on, a person who could you could step on, a person who was below everyone, a person who won down themselves, who always felt belittled, who always felt like nothing, who always feels like I'm, I'm the lowest, I'm the lowest. Everyone is greater than I. But from that day on, all of a sudden, Yaakov, Jacob is seen totally different. He's a man who could wrestle with an angel and defeat him. No longer is he the same Yaakov who was afraid of confronting the enemy or confronting the opponent has to run away to Haran. This is not the Yaakov we're talking about. He's now Yisrael. He, Sarisa, you have commanding power. It invokes victory. You overpowered an angel of God and you have prevailed. So, what happens? When Esav comes with his militia of 400 mercenaries to physically attack his brother, he encounters a totally different brother. He's not the same brother who always ran away. He's not the same brother who always shrunk back from confrontation at any price. He wasn't Yaakov anymore. He wasn't as they called him when he was younger, the innocent man dwelling in tents, but rather now he's Israel. He's Yisrael. So Esav saw it's not worth picking a fight with this guy. And he changed his tune and he ran to hug him instead. The past five weeks has changed. October 7th, we, Israel, met the angel of Esau face to face. No more trying to appease them. No more fleeing from confrontation with terror. From that day on, it's been open war. And I think perhaps you're starting to see the, the similarity that I've seen with this. Every single one of us has moments in our lives that we need to be Jacob, that we need to be Yaakov. And moments in our lives that we need to be Israel. We need to be Israel. Let's take, for example, someone who has, because so many of us, and it's so beautiful, and I love seeing that that the reaction to this moment in our lives has been one that we try to become better. So many people around me are are trying to be better as a result of this, not getting hunkered down and getting just kind of stuck in their moment, but actually being coming better. So imagine a person who decides that they want to start keeping kosher. And they don't want to change 
their, you know, their life. And often they go out with their friends who don't keep kosher. So they go out with their friends to a restaurant, but they don't tell them that they're keeping kosher. Instead, you say you're vegetarian. So then that way they don't eat meat. Why? Because they don't want to confront them. They have no desire to, to pick a fight. They're, they're Yaakov. And later, their friends invite them to a show on Friday night. So they tell them, oh, I wish I could come, but I have lots of work to finish. I don't have any time to go out. I, I wish I could come with you. But the real reason is, of course, they're doing Shabbat dinner with their family. But they don't want to get into a fight. They're Jacobing it. Maybe the you're afraid that your friends will laugh at you. Oh, all of a sudden, look who's religious. Or they're going to say like, oh my gosh, what happened to you? You used to be normal. And you know what? I understand. I totally get it. You don't need the grief. And I think it's with anything that we're trying to do to become better. We're, we We try to avoid confrontation. We try to avoid conflict. So the Jacob, the Yaakov within us is so strong. Who needs the tsuris, as we say in Yiddish? Who needs the confrontation? Who needs the trouble? But then it comes to a moment where you say, I need to change. And not just first order change, but second order change. I have no choice. I have to say I have to declare, I have to take a stand that I am changing. I am different. And from now on, I don't want to go to a non-kosher restaurant. And I don't want to go to Saturday afternoon birthday parties. And at first, I think that your friends will will kind of be shuffled because second order change gets no applause. And, And they're going to want to push you back into, no, 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 no. You've always been the Jacob. Go back to Jacob. Don't, don't, don't be confrontational. I don't want that. Don't change. Stay normal. And you're going to see you're going to get even more pushback from the people in your life. But at, at the end of the day, people will respect people who are proud of who they are. The, the late chief rabbi of Great Britain, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, used to say, people respect Jews who respect themselves. People will respect us if we respect ourselves. And at the end, they will be the ones running up and so to speak, like Asaph, hugging and kissing you with all their heart. I think that today we've seen a, a change in the world. There's, you're, if you would have asked me a couple years ago, I would have said there's no such thing as pure evil. No, you know, there's 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 camouflaged good, there's the potential good, there's but and there's the good. I've always felt that way. But there are some things that we can't be Jacob around. We can't just kind of take the path of least resistance. We have to face it head on. We have to fight with the angel. We have to become Israel. If Israel needs to become Israel, and it's amazing that today. It's called Israel. Why is it called Israel? Because we, the Jewish people, are called B'nai Israel, the children of Israel. We're not called the children of Jacob. We're called the children of Israel. Same person, two different people. One does something that their whole life they're running away from. And as a result, 
It's only the angel that says, now you're Israel. You want to be Israel? Well, you have a job to do. Each one of us. There are times in our lives when we're like Jacob, we're like Yaakov, we try to avoid confrontation. And there are times when we're like Israel. And if you rearrange the letters, it actually, Israel will, Israel in Hebrew becomes Lirosh, or I have a head. There are times where we have to be Israel. What is Israel? You hold your head up high. You're proud of who you are. You don't back down. And the Rebbe quotes from the Kutte Torah, which says that on weekdays, during the week, we're at the level of Jacob. But on Shabbat, we're at the level of Israel. And it's interesting, so many people, you'll see, oh, during the week, they don't wear a kippah, but on Shabbat, they do. Uh, during the week, they don't do certain things, but Shabbat, they do. Maybe it's Shabbat that we're easier to be an open Jew. Today, I'll tell you something. When the, when in, the, in the beginning, when the war first broke out, I was scared. I was scared to walk around. I, I just thought everyone that's passing me, maybe they can be somebody who hates me. I, I, and it was in my head. It was the Jacob within me. And I don't want to have confrontation. I don't like being, I, I, I personally, I'm generally a Jacob. I, I don't want to deal with confrontation. I don't do well. I, I love to be kind and, and, and generous and, and, and happy and, and be the person that, that, that that's loved, not the person who has to deal with the hatred and, and the difficulty. And I said, you know what? Look at me. There's no way that I can hide from my Judaism. I wear my Judaism on my face and I'm not changing that. Not anytime soon, not ever. And so I said, I have to, I have to be the Israel. And it's funny that my name is Israel. And I was thinking within my within myself, I have to be the Israel. And I'm just going to hold my head up high and I'm going to smile and say hello to everyone as I always do, without any feeling of of being the inner Jacob and kind of hunkering down and saying, Oh no, I don't want to face confrontation. What's happened? Well, I don't know if it's directly connected with what I did. I can tell you that's what I did. And I can tell you the result of it. I don't know if anything one has anything to do with the other. I have gotten so many beautiful, beautiful moments of what I call pro-Semitism. People saying, we're with you, giving me a thumbs up, smiling. I actually live in a, you know, I grew up in Chicago. In Chicago, people always say good morning to you. In Montreal, you don't get the same kind of good mornings generally. But I've gotten those. And, as, and I walk the streets a lot, a lot. And I can't tell you how many beautiful, wonderful, special moments. I happen to live in a very, very special area, an NDG, this area of Montreal, which is really special. And I love living here. But people who I pass in the street, I could see what I, like I said, what I say, these pro-Semitic moments where they, 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 they are supportive. And I think that's our job today. Our job today is to be the Israel is to be proud of who we are, to face the evil head-on, face-to-face, to fight with the angel. We don't want to fight. We're not fighters. Israel calls, it does, it's not an army, it calls itself a defense force. We're not fighters. We're reactive. We're not proactive. I know that's our nature. But today, in the face of evil, we have to be fighters. And we have to remind ourselves that we're still 
the compassionate, beautiful humans that we are, and we don't want to do this. But around, the, in the face of evil, we have no choice. And Hashem should bless each and every one of us that we should have the ability to take that stance, to have that strength, to have that courage, to take the stance and say, yes, this is what I'm going to do. This is who I am because I'm proud of who I am. I'm not going to take my keeper off because I don't want to face confrontation because, eh, you know, they're just going to think like I'm everybody else. You're not everybody else. And I know you don't feel like everybody else inside. So put it on. And it's not confrontation because of you. It's confrontation because you are proud of who you are and you're representing your Israel, your inner Israel and your outer Israel. And Hashem should bless you that that second order change, those changes, that difficulty, that confrontation that you have to face or thank God you should have it exactly the way I have it, the pro-Semitism where you don't have to face it. But whatever that struggle is, and most of that struggle is is internal, that you should be able to have the ability to overcome that. And as a result, it should bless you. It should bless all of Israel, the land of Israel. It should bless the soldiers who need our blessing right now. And most of all, it should bless the hostages. May we hear immediately, right now, even before I finish this recording, that the hostages have been freed unscathed. And Hashem should continue to watch over us as the as the as the verse says that God watches over it in the morning to the evening. It's the only land, it's the it's the the safe land, the land of the Jewish people. And Hashem should continue to watch over us both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Have a wonderful day to be continued. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode. 